The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. When God turns his back on a nation, he simply says, I'm done. Save yourselves. We've seen one terrorist incident after another in the UK, the United States, and many of our Western nations. And many people are asking, where was the protection of God? But the Bible teaches that in God's wisdom and in His love and mercy, He will lift His hand of protection from individuals and also from nations, hopefully to bring us to our senses and to cause us to repent and return to the Almighty. So is there any hope? Is there any good news for our troubled times? Hello, I'm Christine Dark. Where is the protection of God when terrorists assault soft targets and our politicians and policemen seem helpless to protect the general public? Questions about accidents and horrific atrocities have been asked as long as the world has existed. And certainly it was no different in Jesus' day. The Lord addressed seemingly senseless tragedies, such as the collapse of the Tower of Siloam, which killed 18 persons. According to the Bible, the Tower of Siloam was an ancient building in Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 13, in a discourse on repentance for sin, Jesus referred to the 18 persons who died when the tower fell. Apparently, they were innocent victims of a calamity that was due to no fault of their own. It makes us think about the Twin Towers in New York and about the thousands who were killed on 9-11. Jesus remarked that those 18 individuals in Jerusalem killed by the collapse of the tower were no more sinful than other people in his generation. And so he warned those around him, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, there were some people present at that time who told Jesus about a group of Galileans who were murdered by the Roman governor Pilate, murdered while they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And to the news of this atrocity, Jesus replied, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? No, I tell you, he said, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Well, you may say, those are harsh words. And how would that saying go down about repentance with the people of Manchester after a suicide bomber killed scores in a stadium? Or the victims of various stabbings in London? Or the families of the people who perished in New York's Twin Towers? Well, I want to refer you to an excellent article in Prophecy Today magazine by Dr. Clifford Denton, headlined, The Protection of God. It was published after the Manchester Pop Concert Massacre. Dr. Denton stated that in the aftermath of the horrendous terrorist attack in Manchester, Christians might well be asking, where was God? 
And Dr. Denton said the answer is not simple, but there has to be an answer. Jesus wasn't willing to compromise his message of repentance to a fallen world. But no matter what the atrocity is, whether it's in Paris, Manchester, New York, or elsewhere, when victims suffer an untimely death, we're not supposed automatically to assume that they were being punished for their personal sins, but rather we should consider what God is allowing to be said as a wake-up call to us all. Dr. Denton stated, the hard fact is this, the protection of God is progressively disappearing from our nation. And without the help of God, no amount of policing our streets will take away our vulnerability. What then is God saying to us? Dr. Denton said he believes God is saying something like this. I've loved you as a nation, but you have rejected my laws and rejected belief in my son. It was my intention in withdrawing my hand of protection that you should turn to me once more to reinstate my laws, to seek me in prayer and walk in my ways. I long to restore my protection, but I cannot until you turn in repentance. God is saying, how can I protect a people who don't want to know me? Many intercessors believe that unless the Lord restores his protection, our nations will remain vulnerable, whatever leader or party comes to power. As in former crises, it's time for our nations to repent and to return to God. Perhaps our current crisis is more serious than any other time in our history. And we watchmen on the walls, the intercessors who stand in the gap, we have a great responsibility. After all, is it not our watch? Well, the judgments of God, the chastisement of God, and the wrath of God simply aren't popular subjects. But we have to confront where our nations are headed spiritually and what God is doing in His love and mercy to correct us. Perhaps you'd much rather hear a Bible study on anything but the wrath of God. Yet we can't ignore that God is displeased with our Western nations and especially with the apostasy that's happening in the churches. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 1 because it concerns the wrath of God as a consequence of willful disobedience. Paul skillfully outlines in this chapter how a society degenerates to the point that God abandons the society to wallow in the consequences of its own sin. In verse 18 of Romans 1, Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, now listen, against men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You see, it's always a battle over truth. Truth is the core issue. Paul's not referring to eternal wrath, sinners going to an eternity in hell, but he's speaking of what theologians call eschatological wrath. By that term, they mean the end-time judgments of God are the cumulative wrath of God that's released at the end of the age, known as the Day of the Lord, as prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
Jesus also spoke of these end-time judgments in his briefing to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. God's end-time wrath involves a series of progressive judgments and woes upon a world that prefers allegiance to the Antichrist system rather than allegiance to the Prince of Peace. In the book of Revelation, from chapters 6 to 19, God's wrath is poured out upon the earth. This is last day's wrath, not eternal wrath. It's the day of vengeance of our God that's being stored up for the unrepentant wicked. But there's another kind of wrath that the Bible describes. And over the years, I've heard a number of Bible teachers describe what's called abandonment wrath. Abandonment wrath is when God turns a person or a nation over to the consequences of their own sin. Abandonment wrath is when God's hand of mercy and protection is lifted from an individual or from a nation. Try to imagine, if you can, anything worse than being abandoned by God and being left to your own devices. So what would be an example of abandonment wrath in an individual's life? The first person who comes to mind is the Bible strongman Samson, whose life is chronicled in the book of Judges in the Bible. Samson was the original Superman long before Clark Kent, long before Wonder Woman and Captain Courageous. Samson truly possessed supernatural strength, not because of anything like science fiction's kryptonite or even Popeye's spinach. He was supernaturally endowed with strength by the Spirit of God, and he accomplished great exploits for God. But tragically, Samson broke faith with God and betrayed his consecration as a result of the seductions of a con woman. Samson was undone by his sin, and God abandoned him. Samson didn't realize that the Lord's presence and power had departed from him. He didn't know until it was too late. And then his enemies ruthlessly gouged out his eyes, bound him in chains, and forced him to grind at a prison mill. The Lord abandoned Samson because of his sin. And it wasn't until Samson repented and renewed his consecration to God that he was able to regain his strength for one last great exploit for God. You see, it's a scary thing that not everybody is going to be saved, even though God is not willing that any should perish. He desires for all to be saved and for all to come to the knowledge of the truth. But not everybody will repent. The truth is, many people are offended by truth. So now I'm going to read about God's abandonment wrath as described in Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to start with verse 18. These verses describe the downward spiral of society. And three times you're going to hear the phrase, God abandoned them. I'm telling you these verses are for serious believers only. This is not for lightweights, but this is in the Bible, folks, and we need to know the whole counsel of God. Starting with 18, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful wicked men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. 
for ever since the world was created, through everything God made, people can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sexual relations and instead indulged in unnatural sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Furthermore, and this is verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God abandoned them and gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Their lives become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and so on and so forth. Please read and study this Romans chapter 1 for yourselves because God is saying these things not any preacher this is God's word so here the Apostle Paul has just painted a picture of how a society or a nation that abandons God looks and behaves and so it has been abandoned by God left to its own wicked devices and unfortunately, all of this sounds far too familiar because it describes our society today. The entire spectrum of immorality is accepted today as normal and aggressively so to the detriment of those believers who insist on retaining freedom of religion and freedom of expression, even freedom of thought. Paul tells us that when a nation has the truth but rejects the truth, it will be abandoned by God. Until, of course, that nation repents and turns back to God. And this is the pattern that we see over and over again in the Bible. For example, in the book of Judges. The people had the law of God, but they abandoned the one true God and joined themselves to idols. Consequently, God sent judgments and in their pain, the people cried out to God. And then he faithfully rescued them time and time again. So God will abandon sinners to their own choices and the consequences of those choices. Vile sicknesses will result. National security will be compromised. 
God simply will no longer restrain our enemies. They'll attack us and without mercy. I read you a modern rendering of Romans chapter 1, but in the King James Bible, three times in Romans 1, we hear the term, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. Sin is the reason that God gives anybody over to reap the consequences of what they've sown. He gives them over. In other words, he abandons them to a pornographic culture, to the unspeakable crimes of pedophilia, to mass murders through wholesale abortion, defiling the land with innocent blood. These are signs that a society has been given over, abandoned by God, to their own degrading passions, falling further and further into the gutter, into perversion, debauchery, unnatural affection, sodomy, the destruction of God-ordained marriage between a man and a woman, the ruin of the safety of the traditional family life, violence against the sanctity of the family and the family altar, a society that's been given over to its lusts eventually hits its lowest low and even degrades into taboos such as cannibalism. And the result? Deadly sicknesses, venereal diseases, soaring health costs, assaults on free speech, and growing insanity amongst the people. You see, when a nation prefers sin and abandons God, God abandons that nation. People are no longer capable of thinking or talking clear common sense. And every hour there's a new attack on religious liberty and free speech because darkened minds hate truth. Now let's consider that this assault on the Word of God in creationism has a more sinister background. Take, for example, when the Apostle Paul evangelized his own Jewish people. Of course, he referenced the Hebrew Scriptures. And when reaching out to the Gentiles, he often spoke of the creation. Depending upon his audience, Paul used both the Hebrew Scriptures and the wonders of creation. Interesting that our rebellious society is determined to remove both the Bible and creation science from the marketplace of ideas and replace them with the religion of evolution. But the evolution lie has its own agenda of no creator, no moral authority, and everything just happens by chance. There's no savior, no second coming to bring a thousand years of righteousness and peace, no hope in evolution. By repressing the Bible in creation science, lost sinners will have no reference points to discover truth. So Paul wrote in Romans 1.21, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him, and they didn't give thanks to God. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart, Paul said, was darkened. Doesn't that perfectly describe many of the ungrateful Western minds today? They didn't honor Him as God, and they don't give Him thanks. You see, to honor God would mean society would have to become accountable to God. To honor God would mean that our nations would have to uphold the Ten Commandments rather than trashing the Ten Commandments. 
Verse 22 of Romans 1 packs a powerful punch. Paul said, professing to be wise, they became fools. In my studies, I discovered that the Greek word here for fools, according to the Strong's Concordance, is the word from which we get moron. How precise. Tragically, the West is full of morons who are puffed up with their folly. Pundits, newscasters, politicians, Hollywood stars, rock stars, clergymen, university professors, all professing themselves to be wise. But the Bible says they are, in fact, when they turn from God, morons. And he who sits in the heavens laughs and holds them in derision. Because, as verse 25 points out in this chapter, they exchange the truth about God with a lie. Well, the commentaries say that Paul quickly added a doxology in this verse, reverentially, because he was shocked even to talk about God in the same sentence. And so the apostle turned aside for a moment to give humble adoration to God. After mentioning God, Paul added the phrase, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, in Paul's Jewish culture, it was common whenever God was mentioned to add a doxology, a blessing. The Jews continue this practice to this day, and it's a beautiful practice. And their practice applies not just to the Almighty. If, for example, they mention a deceased parent or some rabbi or a venerable personage, they will be careful to add the phrase of blessed memory. Well, we see signs all around of God's hand lifting off of our nations and our enemies attacking ruthlessly. And in chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs, God's principles of abandonment are repeated. And I'm going to uh, start with verse 24. I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction that I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. Amen. While I was preparing for this program, a woman from the UK messaged me on Facebook to say that as a new Christian, she was desperately worried about the end times, what's going to happen and how bad it will actually become. She said, I know everyone says we shouldn't be fearful and God will look after his own people. But even so, she said, I'm petrified. She wrote to me, it worries me every second of each day. 
Well, I tried to reassure her with Jesus' own words. He says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. We have to rededicate our life to him and receive his peace and pray Psalm 91, the protection psalm. And remember that he's coming for his own very soon because, and this is a very important verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 declares that God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word salvation also means deliverance, the rapture, the coming of the Lord is the believer's blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord in the atmosphere. But is there any hope at this point for our nations that have sunk into the mire and have turned so far away from God? Well, there are many hopeful verses I could take you to, but I want to take you to Psalm 81. And verse 11 says, But my people didn't listen to my voice, and Israel didn't obey me. So, and here's the same language that God uses in the New Testament in Romans chapter 1. And so he said, I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. That's that judicial phrase again. God gave them over. In other words, he abandoned them. But verse 13 of Psalm 81 is the cry of our compassionate father's heart. He says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Then I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. And that's the word of the Lord, not only for Israel, but for the United States, for the United Kingdom and the former Christian European countries. God is saying to all nations that have known God, he will quickly subdue our enemies who hate us so much if we will only repent and return to him. And that's the same message of hope found in 2 Chronicles 7:14, which promises, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If we'll do these things, humble ourselves, pray, seek the Lord's face, and turn from our wicked ways, then God promises that his hand of protection will be greater than any iron dome. The iron dome, by the way, is a highly technological air defense system that Israel has developed to intercept incoming rockets. But to be under the Lord's wing, under the Lord's hand of protection, is the greatest place of safety for any nation. And we watchmen on the walls are praying into revival. We're believing into revival because revival is our only hope other than the blessed hope, which is the soon return of the Lord Jesus. Because the days are full of evil, we also don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I urge you right now to put your faith and trust in Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, while you're still capable of doing so. And don't fear, because all those who put their trust in the Savior, the Bible promises will be eternally secure. Amen. Well, should the Lord tarry, we can stay in touch through social media 
and through our website at exploits.tv where you can always click online to receive our electronic newsletter exploits. And at our website, all of our previous videos are available for viewing around the clock, as well as an archive of spiritual articles on end-time topics. And we post prayer points twice a week at our website to help you to be an effective watchman on the walls. And you can also upload our free app to view and listen to our programs on your mobile devices and tablets. Meanwhile, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom. The Apostle Paul gave us the inspiring imagery of running a good race in life much as these 3,000 participants in the annual Jerusalem Marathon. Lots of things are happening these days in Israel's ancient capital, and we're here with the Jerusalem Channel to keep you informed of the fast-paced events and news through our daily website updates and regular video reports and biblical teachings. To continue this viewer-supported ministry, we need your help. Please become a part of the Jerusalem Channel by donating. Just click the Donate button on our website to give by credit or debit card. You can also donate by check to our U.S. address or our U.K. post office box. We're here to anticipate that one day soon we'll witness thousands running joyfully through the streets of the Holy City to welcome King Messiah.